Okay, so Nick basically wrapped up everything. We could leave. <laughs> that was awesome. Happy Mother's Day. Um, and I got to tell you that um, if, if you could, actually, if you have a Bible or you have your Bible on your phone, we're not going to have the app um, with information on it or notes, but uh, you're more than welcome and encouraged to go to Colossians chapter 2. So we're going to be today in this service. If you are someone who is a, um, if you're like, okay, this is one of the things I the, the days of the year I least like because I'm not a mom. Um, I, this, is, this kind of feels like the sermon's going to be directly at moms. Let's just say if you're 18 and younger and you're not a parent, I've got a Mother's Day sermon for you, okay? If you're a single adult, male or female, I have, have a Mother's Day sermon for you. If you're a father, I have a Mother's Day sermon for you. And if you're a mom, I got nothing for you. This is just, no, this is, we have a Mother's Day sermon for you as well, because this is something that actually impacts all of us. But as you're turning to Colossians chapter two, I have to ask the question, what is it that mothers worry about? And I know everything, but what, what is, like, what are some specific things? Let's go back to elementary school and just raise our hand. What is something that, what are things regarding their children that mothers worry about? Safety, okay, safety, all right, yep, in the back. Health, yep. What else? Yes. Their salvation, their faith, okay. Anyone else? Yeah. Their grades in school. No one has said that so far. <laughs> it's because every other service, lots of dumb kids in those services, but, but this service. Okay. So there was this pastor, and he actually did this. He wanted to know how to uh, talk about what mothers worry about. And so he did this, like, survey, and he had uh, parents uh, that were Christian, parent, Christian moms and, and non-Christian moms. And, and he surveyed them of the top five things that they worry about, and here they are. The first thing that they worry about is, you've already said it, safety. You just, come on. You know, that, this world has got lots of sharp edges, and we don't want you to be safe. Now, if you are a parent right now, like a, like a young parent right now, you're in a millennial generation and you've gotten an awesome, fantastic stereotype against you as a snowflake and that, or maybe it's your hover parent or a helicopter parent where, you know, you're watching your kids diet and you're making sure that everything has, like their, your kids are bubble wrapped and all that type of stuff. And, and, and people who are older than you, like my age and older, look at you like freaks. Now, here's why we do that though. This isn't your fault. I'm actually going to be the first maybe to say this isn't your fault. Every generation prior to your generation, they had fears for their kids' safety, for sure. But no one has been inundated every single day, washed over, conditioned with how scared and terrified you should be about what is out in the real world. Your phone reminds you every day. If you're not freaked out, you should be. Do you know that in Tanzania yesterday, a kid fell off his bicycle? Seriously. And so like all of a sudden now you have, we're washed over with global fears. And, and so safety is something that parents, that moms specifically worry about. But it's not just safety, it's health. As you guys said already, health is something that you worry about your kid. Not only like um, un incurable diseases or and things that, they're, that, that they may get sick with that could be a, a game changer for the rest of their life, but also th just mental health, psychological health. We're, we're afraid for our kids for these things as well. Are they in healthy relationships with friends? Are they, is this a healthy environment? Parent, moms freak out about that. Third, they, they worry about marriage. Who's my kid going to marry? 
knowing how, how the odds are against your kid, that, that maybe even the odds are against your kids having a successful marriage, that freaks parents out. Or if your kid has already been divorced, what's next? What's the next step? How does this factor in? That causes worry. Competence. Now, this is something that my parents really had to struggle with, you know, I mean, with me. And it was like something where, like, I, when I first read this, I'm like, oh, man. Because I remember my mom just looking at me like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I love you with unconditional love, but what's wrong with you? All right? If, but this is not competence, worrying about your kids being competent. This worry for a mom is worrying, worrying that she hasn't been competent. That this, this one role, that seems like this God-given role, you failed in. You didn't do a good enough job. You know other people who are doing a better job. Maybe your mom did a better job. Maybe your mom has told you she did a better job. <laughs> Competence is something that moms worry about. And then fifthly, faith. Even though this was a group of Christian and non-Christian people, um, the thing that we see in, in the mix of both of them is the fact that, that faith was something that was a high priority. Are my, specifically for the Christians, are my kids going to adopt the faith that I have? Are, is, is Jesus going to be a priority in their life, or is, it, or is he going to be so back burner, or, or is, are my kids going to walk away from their faith? These are fears and worries. And so I got to tell you, moms, we love you. We love you. And what I want you to feel and, and know, not just feel, but know as you're exiting the service is how God sees you. And the, if you're in Christ, the radical difference that that makes how you see yourself. Because all of these worries do something to moms. It causes them to do something. What it causes moms to do is hide. Hide behind busyness. Hide behind trying to make sure your kids are plugged into everything in the world so that you feel like you're keeping up to speed with everyone else. Maybe hide behind chemicals or, or booze to be able to like cover over the fact that you're frail and insecure inside. We, we hide. Everyone hides. But moms, I feel like moms sometimes have an unfair amount of burden that they're trucking through life, causing them to do this. So what I want you to do as a result of this sermon and the result of what we see Paul talking about in Colossians 2 is to see yourself differently. And the first thing that you can see yourself differently in is that you can actually see yourself as strong in the truest sense of the word. In chapter two, Paul starts off by just, he almost sounds like a mom. He's like, listen, I'm struggling for you. I, I, I'm, I, I care about you. He's writing to a bunch of Christians and he, he desperately wants them to do well and, and survive their faith and survive this world. And, he, and he's communicating to them. And as he's talking to them, you can see that he's pulling for them. And he gets into verse six and he says this of chapter two. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Sometimes we think that if you're a mom, you, the only time that you're going to be thankful is everything, if, you're, if you're a strong person. You got good genes. Your mom was German or something. She put good stock in you. And so you're, I'm going to go through whatever. You know, that, that's like your vibe. That's faux strength. True strength is recognizing that there's a strength above and beyond your ability on your best days to be strong. And that's found in Jesus. You could be strong in the truest sense of the word. When he says that um, we need to be rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, 2 Corinthians uh, 1.21 says that it's Jesus who strengthens us. It's not your willpower. 
And not only that, the word that he says um, that we should be built up in him, that word is a word that you see other places in the Bible. In Ephesians 2.20, you see the same word as being built up, built up, used, talking about the fact that our faith, it's established by what, what we hear about from all the apostles through scripture and everything else, but that the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ. The cornerstone of our faith isn't other believers. The cornerstone of our faith isn't the church that we go to. The cornerstone of our faith is Jesus, what he's done. Everything hinges on him. My strength hinges on Jesus. And sometimes we do this, and moms, we do this too. You do this too. Not we, moms do this as well. Where we say, okay, I know that my faith, that Jesus is what it all rests on. And I love that because in, in religion, Jesus is the, the, the one who holds all things together. But in the rest of my life, it's on me. And it's, I need to be strong. I need to step up to the plate. And I realize I haven't in so many ways. Paul says, the one who builds us up, the one who actually does that epoiko domio, the one who actually builds us up is Jesus himself. In other words, if you think about yourself and you think about the fact that all those things that moms worry about, that that's daily on your shoulders, okay? Are these the only things, moms, that you worry about? Are your kids the only thing that you worry about? No, there's, there's a few other things that happen to be on your shoulders as well. And if you're going through life and this is you, you're like, I have to get through this. I have to do this. I must be strong. And Paul says, no, you don't. You can go on that strength for, uh, until you're, you're exhausted. But the better path is to realize that there's a better strength. And that better strength is that if you are in Jesus, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, then he's in you. And he is the one who is shouldering the weight that is on your shoulders. You are not alone, and you have a strength far beyond your own reality, regardless of the circumstances. You can see yourself as strong. You can also see yourself as liberated. And this is important. Uh, when we see that we can be liberated from the darkest parts of our past, this, this is an amazing part of chapter 2. Look at verse 13. He says this, When you were dead in your sins... And, and he says dead. So it's not like mostly dead when you are on life support in your sins. He's like, you're dead. Like there's no hope. There's no, like there's no, like you can't clear. And nothing. You're, it, you're toast. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay, so here's the good news. If you are a human being in here, you have made mistakes. You've done wrong, okay? You've made errors in judgment. If you're a mom, that applies to you too, just, just like every other human being in here. But as a mom, sometimes, again, we walk with that guilt. You don't have to have Catholic guilt or Baptist guilt. If you're a mom, you have a, your whole like, truckload of guilt that you're bringing along with you. But here's the thing that Paul says. Because we didn't do anything to author our salvation, we were dead in our sins. That's something that he did for us. He rescued and liberated us. All we could do is look at what he did and say, we're free. And he tacks in at the end of that passage this really cool part. He says, having disarmed the powers and authorities, basically all of those things that are bringing you shame. You did wrong, you feel guilty, and you feel shamed about it. All the, all the energy behind that on top of you, mom. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
See, what would happen back in the day? Let's just think about two local communities in our area. Give me a name of a community that you're from. Shanahan, okay, give me another community. Shorewood, okay. Let's say that Shanahan invades Shorewood. We're going to do it. And this is ancient world. And so Shanahan comes in and they ooga, ooga, ooga into Shorewood. They first take Dairy Queen because priorities. But you get into Shorewood and all of a sudden you get into Shorewood and what Shanahan would do if Shanahan triumphed over, over the land of Shorewood, they wouldn't just simply go in and say, we've occupied Shorewood. Woohoo! What In the ancient time, what they would do is they would, they would battle everyone. They would lay siege to the whole town and then they would take the mayor and all the cabinet and all the people who are on the boards and they would take them and they would have a victory parade. And in the victory parade, you would have the, they'd have the mayor of Shanahan and all the officials of Shanahan at the top of the parade. And it was like, woo, Shanahan, yeah. And at the end of the parade, you would have in chains walking the mayor of Shorewood and all the other officials of Shorewood so that everyone in the crowd, all the Shanahonians could go, what? Who's the boss now? Who's in charge? Not you guys. That guy is the king at the, the top of the parade. And you guys are just the spectacle that we could triumph over. It was a way of like rubbing just salt in the wound, like you got no more power anymore. Paul says, if you're a Christian, that's your story. Moms, you have made mistakes, but you don't have to hide those mistakes anymore if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, you no longer have to go, I just need to pretend like I'm a good enough mom. I need to pretend like I'm doing all the right things. I need to pretend like my family is safe and secure and perfect. Like I assume everyone else's family is you don't have to do that anymore. You actually can say, you know what? I did that. That happened. I can't erase that. That happened. And I did that and that. But these are not the end of my story. They're just the end of the parade. They're part of the thing that Jesus has triumphed over. So I could say that all happened, but that was the end of my story. My story is right here at the beginning of this parade, triumphing over those. So I could be totally honest about them and I don't have to fear, what are people going to think anymore? I am liberated from the darkest parts of my past and I can have the freedom not to feel like I need to hide one second more. But not just the darkest part of your past, the things that you've done, even the darkest seasons of your soul that, that have been psychological, like other ramifications of sin, living in a broken world. Men and women, married and single, parents and non-parents, struggle with depression, anxiety, panic attacks, Sometimes moms have an undue amount of this, chemically speaking even, just like in, in postpartum depression. Um, I had an opportunity to, uh, I was thinking about um, Pastor Nick, his wife, Joy. I was, I was thinking about her the other day, so I just shot her a Facebook message and said, hey, Joy, how's it going? Just, just uh, thinking about your day, let you, just wanting you to know that I'm praying for you. And that's it. And she sent me back one, like if you get a message from the pastor, sometimes you're like, oh, he noticed I wasn't around. This is like he's calling me out, which is, True, but sometimes. But I wasn't doing that with Joy. I was simply just like, just writing her. And, um, and so she, she writes me back and, and she reveals that she's actually been, been off the grid for a while. It was difficult for her to, to leave the house, let alone get to church. I mean, I, I mean, when you have small kids, they're all passing the sick baton, you know, that happens. But on top of that, she was really struggling after Elo was born with postpartum depression. And she said that I could share this with you because she knows that this is a lot of your story as well. She said this, she said, I'm not sure if you saw me last Sunday because I was trying to be a little incognito, but I finally made it back to church and it was so good, a little painful, but good. And then Joy alluded to something 
um, a book by C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia series, The, the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In that, there's this, this kid who's kind of like uh, the bratty kid in the beginning, and eventually he gets, gets this curse on him from this, this dragon's treasure that he actually becomes the monster that his attitude was displaying all along. So he's this massive dragon with scales and everything else. And, um, and, she, and, 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 and that's just the reality. And, and he's just frustrated because he can't undo what has been done to him until he meets Aslan. Aslan is the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia representing God. C.S. Lewis, Lewis had him as a type for God. And Aslan says, follow me. And he says, you have to take that off. And, and Eustace is trying. I mean, he's trying as hard as he's clawing at the scales, but he can't do it. And he just breaks down in desperate grief of realizing I cannot undo what has been done to me. And then Aslan reminds him, I actually am the only one who can do that for you. And Aslan pierces through the scales and removes them. And Eustace finds this incredibly painful and difficult, but underneath it all, was the real person, the real him, the real Eustace that was able to emerge out of that. Joy tacks on after this. It was so good, a little painful, but good. Like Eustace Scrub when Aslan finally removed all the dragon scales and there was the boy underneath. Moms, no matter what has happened, no matter what you've done, or even just the reality that you're walking through, Jesus not only canceled the record against you of things that you've actually done, but even the side effects of living in a broken world, which ekes into our broken minds, all of us in different ways. If that's something that you're walking with, this depression, this anxiety, this may be a lifer. This may be for, to, the, to the day you die, but to the day you die as someone in Christ, you can know this is not the end of the story and you are not alone. You are walking with him, the one who has liberated you. You can see yourself as strong, you could see yourself as liberated, and you could see yourself because of him as established. Um, sometimes as, as, as people, but as moms specifically, we look at all these exterior markers of success as a parent. My kids are doing good. Um, I'm a patient, gentle, forgiving, loving mom. Um, my Facebook status is rock. And that, like, that's all like this end, like end game, right? And we, this, this is how I know I'm doing, I'm, I'm knocking it out of the park. I'm killing it as a mom. I'm just, all, all this stuff right here. This is a recipe for disappointment, discouragement, and depression. If this is what we're holding our value in, we can stop making the end result your starting point for expectation of personal value because you are established. If you're in Christ, you are established. You're someone who, who is, is someone who's been established by the fact that Christ has valued you. And that's important to know, especially today, because today they're finding that moms are having even more difficulty feeling that value and that, that, that establishment because of the fact that they feel there's so much comparison. Um, the magazine Real Simple, um, anyone know Real Simple? I've just started this week getting into it with some light reading. <laughs> so far I've learned how I can cover up my gray hair, have an epically awesome living room, and the five important things I need to know about my baby's pacifier. But the other thing that it was talking about was that, that Facebook is actually causing a deeper insecurity in young parents. There, there's another article that says, scientifically speaking, we're finding that people who are insecure gravitate to social networking for validation. So not only is 
the social networking making us feel insecure, but if you're insecure, you're going to go there anyway. And so it's just this vicious cycle. In this particular article talking about this, it says, if, you, if your feed is becoming overrun by pictures of a friend's new baby, you might want to reach out to her and tell her that she's doing a great job in real life rather than throwing her another like or comment. Parenting is hard, and Facebook may be adding a new metric for new mothers to judge their parenting skills against. The study found that new moms who posted on Facebook about their babies more often were more likely to feel pressured to be perfect mothers and identified strongly with the traditional role of a mother. They were also most affected by comments and reactions and were more likely to feel bad if a picture didn't gain positive attention. Um, these women also reported more depressive symptoms in, in the months after having a baby. And the one who authored this article said, what these mothers are saying is that my child is central to my identity, at least for right now. The easiest way for women in our society to get validation is still through being a mother because other roles that women take are, not, are still not as valued. So if you're someone without a child, if you're a female without a child, let me just say that you are established. But if you are someone who does have a child, your establishment, your security, your foundation is not here in the end game, the fruit. See, Paul talks about the fruit. He talks about the fact that because we're created as new creations, we can be more loving, we could be gentle, we could be forgiving. We could, we, could, we could show all the things that we want to show as a parent, specifically as a mom. That, that's something that he supernaturally enables us to do. But this is not the starting point. The starting point for us is not, I qualify. The starting point is, Jesus has qualified me. I am already established. And from that place of peace, I can then take steps into being gentle, being forgiving, showing that kind of respect to my kids and my family. But when I fail, and I will fail, I come back to the starting point of not I'm a failure, but I'm established. He has established me. You could stop making the end result your starting point expectation of personal value. And, and moms, because of this, because of the fact that you have this type of uh, establishment, because you're liberated and you're strong, you can actually do something else. And this is, this is pretty huge. You could actually say, I recognize that I have done things that were wrong. And so from a place of being established, from a place of being liberated and strong, you could actually go and apologize for things that you've done without the fear of this wrecking you. Because even being honest about how some of these things didn't pan out the way that you thought they would, you're established and you're safe and secure in what Jesus did. Even if the response or the reaction by the person you're apologizing to isn't positive, you're still coming from a place of security. For if you, if you are not a mom, or, or if, you're, if you're thinking about your own mom, today may be a fantastic day for you to apologize to your mom. And if you're like, yeah, but you don't know what my mom did. No, I know, I know. You're not apologizing for what they did. But if you're simply owning up to the part that you played in life as a Christian, whether or not they are, you can actually come from a place of established strength and liberation and be able to apologize for things that you did, even if the response is super negative, it won't ruin your Mother's Day because you're already established and because you can see yourself as someone who is safe. This is my favorite part of the passage. In fact, I was thinking about only talking about this part of the passage in chapter three, but take a look at the first couple of verses of chapter three. Paul gets to this and he says, 
Since then, you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is. Set your, your, um, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Pause real quick. He's saying that when, when we actually become a Christian, he reorients our perspective on how we see things. We can actually, all the same situations are going on, but we can have a, a different perspective because Christ is a part of the mix. Verse two, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. That last verse is so cool because he says this, you know, that all that guilt or all that shame that I'm trucking along about the past, Paul says, here's good news. The past is dead. I mean, yeah, obviously that all happened, but this no longer is the loudest word over you. It's not your identity. You don't have to be handicapped by this going forward. Psychologically and spiritually, Jesus has done something for you that has reset the clock. You were dead and now you're alive. And then this is the best part of that verse. He says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. See, there's a world of difference between someone who hides themselves out of fear and someone who is hidden by somebody else. If Jesus is the one who's hiding you, if he's keeping you safe, that's a world of difference than you having your own self-protective mechanism in life to try to keep yourself going. Because if you're hidden in Jesus, all of a sudden you're coming from the angle of the fact that your starting point is safety, safety of found, being found in him, that he has established you with the ability to reach out and do things that are amazing, that are beyond. But even when you fail in these things to, with your kids, you've got a place that is liberated from the darkest parts of your past. That, that in him, you could actually have strength above and beyond your own strength, that strength that's tethered to his strength so that you never, ever, ever have to hide. Which brings us, of course, to Jeanette McFadden. This is my mom. This is like probably 78. She's probably singing in church um, or something. This is after, I'm the oldest of five kids. So this is before the other four were born. And just look how happy she is. Jeanette, you could have stopped right there and that smile would still be just glowing about. But the other four came anyway. This is Jeanette McFadden um, before the other four kids. This is Jeanette McFadden before um, kids um, were hit by cars. This is Jeanette McFadden before in-laws came into the family and having to learn that new dynamic. This is Jeanette McFadden before the divorce with one of her ch children. This is Jeanette McFadden before cancer came into the family. This is Jeanette McFadden at the beginning of motherhood. And my mom wasn't perfect. Um, she, she grew up as a, as a staunch atheist, as I've told you already, staunch atheist and tried to deconvert her friends from their Christianity until she, she turned her life over to Jesus. She had zero playbook on what a good mom looked like. Coming into the mix, she was as ignorant as it could be. The only thing that she had was this newfound faith in Jesus that was her platform. My mom, my mom, between my mom and my dad, again, my mom wasn't perfect. She did, oh man, I, 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 thank my, I thank God for my mom, but she wasn't perfect. Between my mom and my dad, just one of the things, just when I think about it, my mom was the cusser in the family versus my dad. My mom would just get really frustrated about something. And then she would stop and she would say, pardon my French. <laughs> and my dad would say, Jeanette, that wasn't French. 
My parents, um, my, my, when my dad was at work, my mom, she would play albums at the house, and my parents raised me on Bob Dylan and CCR and, um, and Keith Green and Amy Grant, so it was kind of like the mix. <laughs> and I remember my mom walking around the house. If she wasn't playing Amy Grant, she was singing words from Amy Grant. And as this newfound Christian, this new mom, walking through the, the pitfalls of life, I remember one song that she would sing over and over again. It's by Amy Grant um, called All I Ever Have to Be. And these are the words to it. When the weight of all my dreams is resting heavy on my head and the thoughtful words of help and hope have all been nicely said, but I'm still hurting, wondering if I'll ever be the one I think I am. I think I am. Then you gently re-remind me that you've made me from the first and the more I try to be the best, the more I get the worst. And I realize the good in me is only there because of who you are, who you are. And all I ever have to be is what you've made me. Any more or less would be a step out of your plan. As you daily recreate me, help me always keep in mind that I only have to do what I can find. And all I ever have to be, all I have to be, all I ever have to be, is what you've made me. See, the difference between someone who's hiding and someone who is hidden is that the one who is hidden knows all of the same fears and realizes that the struggle is real, the fears are real, but the greatest reality is that those fears are not the only agent in the room. That if you have Jesus, you have a different reality. When you look at yourself in the mirror, you're looking at yourself as someone who has God in you. The Holy Spirit is in you, and you are not alone. Moms, we love you. The one thing I want you to know is that all of that earthbound insecurity that comes through life is not something that as a Christian you need to truck one more day. That you could look at yourself and see someone that God loves, and he knows all of your perfections and all your imperfections, and he is the one who's calling you to follow him. At the end of the service, in the fireside room right over there, we're going to take our, our morning offering, and I'm going to have an announcement. At the end of the service, though, on your way out, dads, be totally cool with this, but we want to make sure that we, you have space. If you're a mom, either you're a new mom or you're an, an empty nester, and you need prayer, prayer for healing, prayer for whatever you're going through right now, prayer for help, go through that door in the fireside room, and there's going to be women in there, moms, Moms who've seen the ups and downs of life who are willing to pray for you. As many of there uh, as there are, they'll pray for you. And you could walk out knowing that. Also, when you walk out, I want you to pick up, and I think I left mine backstage, but there's these little um, cards out in the atrium that has a, a mirror. And at the bottom, it simply says, God in you. Moms, this is the cheapest present we could give you, Okay. <laughs> Kids or dads, if you forgot about Mother's Day until this moment, sprint out there and pick up one and pretend like this was your idea all along. But moms, I want you to have that, put that somewhere in your house so that when you see that, you remember that when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, you're not simply looking at a reflection. You're not looking at a reflection of the past. You're looking at a picture of God in you, empowering you and walking with you. You are not. You are not. 
alone. I'm going to pray for our morning offering. Um, after our morning offering, I have an announcement. And what we're playing during our morning offering is a very staunch and stark tone difference from everything I've just said, just giving you fair warning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the moms that we have here today. I thank you for who they are. I thank you for their ups and their downs and the fact that you have come into their life in a way that is unique and profound. Lord, I pray that today is a day of healing, a day of joy, in spite of any circumstances from the past, and that we'll see your fingerprints all over it. That at the end of the day, all of the moms in here will recognize that if they're in Christ, they have God in them, and you will never leave them. Lord, for our, our, our offering, God, I pray that you help us make a significant impact for you. That the gospel will go out not only in Manuka and Shorewood and Morris and Wilmington and Braidwood, but that it'll go far beyond the, the borders of Illinois and far the, beyond the borders of the, the United States, God, that this will be a global thing. That we'll be partnering with other churches in ways that will proclaim the reality of your healing that many of us here enjoy. We ask that in your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.